or I have the privilege of, of um, introducing our guest speaker. Many of you in here probably know Jason. Many of you may not. Um, Pastor Jason and Tambi have been in Pole Center in the Valley since, well, I think he said six and a half years now. Um, so we've had the privilege of ministering together with them in the Valley doing different things. Um, I, will, I did want to share that they're special to me and Jason especially, um, how do I want to say this? So Austin, our youngest, was in Costa Rica for six months with our missionaries when he was 15. And he came back and he was just kind of, I don't know what to do, just still trying to figure out his life with God and what that meant for him. And because the year didn't plan out the way it was supposed to and he was frustrated. And he started going to the youth group at New Life, and we have always supported. We didn't have a youth groups. So we're like, if you are a kid in our church, go there because it's not about us. You know, it's about working together. So Austin started going to the youth group, and Jason and Tammy really were kind to him and took him in and, and saw things in him that I don't think Austin saw in himself. And... Um, asked him to be in leadership and then to be on the drama team and all these things that even I was like, wow, stuff I didn't see because he was so young and just was not sure of himself. So I appreciate that about you guys. I love you guys. We love you guys. Um, they were, what were you, worship? No, you were youth leaders and worship leader, I guess, at New Life for probably six years. And um, now they're just kind of in transition, and they've been a part of our family for the last several months. And with that, I would like you to welcome Jason Burrow. Yeah, we're free agents. Um, free agents. How are you guys doing this morning? So it's really exciting. Um, you know, I, I had read some news about Tony Dungy uh, possibly losing his job because he tweeted out some things about the right of life and things. And how backwards is our country, right? I mean, we live in a time where, you know, freedom of speech is really only freedom of speech if I like what you're saying. <laughs> and then if it's not, then, hey, sorry, you're canceled. And uh, <clears throat> hopefully that doesn't apply to Foursquare Church, um, because you're probably not going to like a lot of the things I say today, um, and, uh, and that's okay, because I believe that we need to be challenged, amen? The Word of God is challenging, right? I mean, very few can live it. Uh, we all, a lot of us can claim to live it, but a very, very few of us actually do, uh, with all of our actions and all of our words and all of our reactions and all, in all of our life, and so we're going to talk about life things today, but... One of the cool things about this right to life and the, the journey, and I wasn't even thinking about it, um, to be honest, I was at wrestling literally the last 48 hours, no, 72 hours, um, on and off, and if you've ever been to wrestling matches, um, it's like the military, you just hurry up and wait, and you sit around, and you sit around, and you sit around, and then your name gets called, and you go. And, uh, and so anyway, that's what I've been doing. And so I didn't even really think about it. I saw those comments by Tony, um, great coach, um, if you don't know who Tony Dungy was. Uh, but I, I even looked at, you know, this morning, Andrew says, hey, why don't you share your story? And so I'll give you a little bit of background about Jason. Jason grew up in a pretty nice house with some great people. And um, about 20, I was married and I was in my 20s to Tambi, my beautiful wife, and we, uh, were, we have an older son. Most of you have never met him. His name is Mason. He lives in uh, San Antonio. He's married uh, to a beautiful little girl there that uh, used to come on mission trips with us, and uh, when we would host him in Houston, we'd go to the, the apartment complexes and all kinds of cool places in Houston, and she would, uh, would want to tag along with us, and she lived in San Antonio. They met they were friends at first, and then it blossomed, and now I'm waiting on grandkids. And so it's like, I want grandchildren, you know? Uh, so it's like that Saturday Night Live skit, you know, I want grandchildren. And so, um, but anyway, I, I, uh, I found out we were expecting uh, our first baby girl, which was Camden. She was here this last uh, several months. She's a 
freshman finishing out her freshman year over at uh, North Central University uh, in Minneapolis. She's a worship. Uh, she's going for music and worship. In fact, one of her songs just got published uh, with, uh, with guitar or something. I don't even know what it is. I was just super proud of her. And so churches all across the country will now be able to download her music and play, you know, in their churches. I'm pretty excited about that. Um, and so she's working with, if you're, if you're old school like I am and love old school Christian music, Sonic Flood, the head guy is Jeff Deo. Uh, he was the bald dude that wrote like more love, more power and all of those songs that I grew up with in youth group. He's actually her mentor, and he's working with her, and so it's really cool. And I'm a total fanboy, in case you're wondering, when I go and I see him. I'm like, oh, could you sign my Bible? You know, so anyway. Um, actually, I have a Jeff Deo album in my house that's actually signed by him that she gave me from him, and so I was really excited. So <laughs> it pays to have children sometimes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes you don't have to pay. Most of the times you have to pay, but sometimes they actually give some back a little bit. You know what I'm saying, moms and dads? And so anyway, um, where am I going with this? Here's where I'm going. We were expecting Camden. Um, I had had some, my, my, what I thought was my father um, was, passed away when I was five years old from pancreatic cancer. My mom remarried. We moved to Georgia from Houston, and I um, found out through a, uh, like, lemony schnickets, through uh, some unfortunate and unexpected events and crazy events, I found out that I was adopted at about 23 years old uh, at birth. And so that kind of threw me for a little bit of a loop, right? And so 22, and now I'm in my, uh, what, 40s. Uh, my wife and children decide, hey, Let's get that ancestry dealio, you know? And I know there's been a lot of talk about the good and bad things of ancestry DNA and all of this other jazz, but I, it worked for me, okay? Uh, because it put me in contact with who I thought was my aunt. Little did I know, I discovered she was my sister. And little did I know, I discovered where my birth mother actually lived, and here's the story. My birth mother, uh, my, my biological mother, uh, lived in Germany. She's from Germany. She was born in Germany. So I'm a first generation Americano. Let's go. And uh, I speak more Spanish than I do German. I can tell you that. Um, and so we are, I'm, I'm finding all of these things out. I finally talked to her last year on a Wednesday night. I think Chris may have been in the room. Um, it was on a Wednesday night before youth church. And I got to talk to her on, on the phone for the first time, 40 one years finally talking to my biological mother on the phone. It's like a dream come true. But I find out all of these things, right? Number one, she's from Germany. My father was in the service. He was married here in America with children, went to Germany, and then met her mother and fell in love with her mother, left his wife here, and my, what I now know as brothers and sisters, which she happened to be one of the sisters, and, and brought them to Houston. Well, while they were in Houston, something happened unexpectedly, and he raped her, and she got pregnant. And instead of, uh, there was many talks about, let's, you know, they wanted to hide it. When something like that happens, right, and, I bet, and in that time, you kind of want to hide it, stuff it under the rug, you know. And I found out that there was a couple in the church there that uh, they were missionaries in Mexico and they uh, went to the child, the mother, and, and just, hey, let's, instead of you aborting this child, let's, let's give this child, let's, uh, we've got somebody who has been trying to have children and can't have children. This kid has a purpose for his life. Let's do this. And June 14th, 1980, Jason Allen Burrow came into this world. And I was adopted um, literally as soon as that my parents could have got me out of the hospital, they were there. I, I was only held by my birth mother for just a few moments, really. And then it was gone because they were so consumed with hiding it from the rest of their family. In fact, everyone knew that she had a child, but they all thought until last year that the child was from some other person. They didn't know it was from her own stepfather. And so I found out that I have, let's see, 
I have twins, so twins run on both sides of our families. I have twin brothers and another brother that live in Texas and in North Carolina. I have some family members that don't even speak English because they uh, live in an area in Houston that where a German population lives. And, um, and so I can tell you this, that um, Jason Allen Burrow is standing up here because God had a purpose for his life. Amen? You know, and so I, I really, um, it's a testimony to how good God is. God is good, and it's not just all the time. It's every time. You just got to have the faith to trust in the process that God is bringing you through. Because God is going to bring you through it. He brought you to it, and he's going to get you through it all the way. Amen? And so what I want to talk about today really is, is, is simple. It's about love. And is, it, it, in my topic today is Jesus' love. It's unconditional, and it's unconventional. It's unconditional, and it's unconventional. And, and I'd like to start this morning with a little interaction. So I've been a youth pastor for 20-plus years I want to start with a little interaction, okay? And so my question to you this morning that, that I, I'm going to go with around, and I'm going to put the microphone in front of your face if you raise your hand. Maybe if you don't raise your hand, uh, I might do it too because that's how, uh, you know, that's how we get people like, you know, Austin Perkins going in the right direction, amen? You just got to shove his face, you know, and what do I do? I remember when he was young, man, and summer. They both were in my youth group. In fact, for a while there, my youth group was the placing of hookups and getting married. And so you all know about it. And here's another generation, I think, sitting in the front row. Anyway, we'll, go. we'll keep going. I'd like to start uh, by asking you this question. Is love in our world increasing or decreasing? Is love in our world, love, now real love, I'm not talking about sexual love. I'm just talking about agape love. Is it increasing or decreasing? What do you think, Holly? Dear Jesus, Holly will talk. <laughs> Love in our world is decreasing. And why? Why do you think? Well, because there are so many that are lost. That's a great answer. Mic drop. What do you think over here? I'd agree with Holly. Yeah, it's a pretty good one. Does anybody think that love is increasing? Yeah, and why do you think that? I think that because I think a lot of people are becoming very aware of a lot of the things that are coming out in the world, and I think people are becoming more passionate about um, making sure that the evil that is being exposed is destroyed. Awesome. That's a, that's a great answer. So that's good. So there's, there's some, there's some uh, differencing of opinions. Anybody over here want to answer? She's shaking her head. You, you know I'm a youth pastor. When you shake your head, that's like, you may be doing this, but I'm seeing this right here. You know, do you guys go to public school? Are you homeschooled? So this is a great question for you. Is love in your house increasing or decreasing between brother and sister? You know, decreasing. She's like, and brother's over there going, if I answer, mama's going to backslap me. All right. So I'm just kidding. I'm totally just kidding. Listen, I made some observations over the course of uh, just, just here in the last few months. There's been, what, what has there been? There's been six-year-olds bringing guns to school and shooting their teachers. Now, there was a lot of pre-things going on there. And if you get in there and read it, I'll be honest with you. At first, I was a little frustrated. You know, I'm like, and then I start reading it. And then there's some things that are going on. And, and you kind of feel bad for the little guy, Right. And the parents, so there's just things that are going on. And there's been, there's been school shootings over in Idaho. There was kids murdered. I mean, we faced off uh, our first wrestling uh, tournament was in Idaho and Kellogg and Moscow was there. And every time they would run by, every time they'd walk by to go into their mat, I'd be like, Lord, please. You know what I mean? It just it filled my heart with so much compassion for what was going on. College students have been murdered. Fights in our Capitol building, like fist fights. I mean, come on. Those are the people that we elect to go to places. Fist fighting over who's the Speaker of the House? Look, if they're fist fighting Democrats and Republicans and Libertarians and all those guys, that's a different story. But when you're fighting your own people, it kind of sounds like the church a little bit, doesn't it? Ooh. And so many instances over the times, and, and, and it just has me 
asking a lot of questions about the imminent return of Jesus Christ. Does anybody believe he's coming and he's coming soon? I, I mean, there's a lot of sto- there's a lot of storyline here that tells me that Jesus' return is coming close because it seems like, from what I'm seeing, that hate has become the weapon of choice in our country, not love. It's become the weapon of choice in a lot of churches in our country. Not just politics, not just the lost, but it's become in the hospital. All of a sudden, people are not liking each other. You know, back in the day, it used to be, well, if we get the blue chairs, if we get the red carpet, we're going somewhere else. I'm going to take my marbles. I'm going to go to the other church because they'll listen to what I'm saying. You understand what I'm saying? But now we're talking about bigger things. Those seem to be small things. And as a kid, I looked at those things and I gone, what's wrong with people? But hate has become the weapon of choice here in America. But why? I believe Peter said it best when he said that we should be alert and sober-minded because our enemy, what does he do? The devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. And let me tell you, Christian, the good thing about a roaring lion is you may not see him, but you know he's coming, so you better prepare. That's the thing. Everybody talks about the roaring lion, but they don't see him. But guess what? I ain't got to see a lion to know I better get my butt out of there because he's coming. It's like when I first moved to the Flathead area six years ago, and I took a swim in the Flathead Lake. You know what I was doing? A boy from Georgia that had alligators on this side and sharks on this side, you know what this brother was doing? I was swimming like this. Because, you know, I don't get it. I have a rule, and my wife hates this rule. If I can't see to the bottom of it, I'm not getting in it. And you even got it, man, if you ever move to South Florida and you don't put one of those nice screens around your uh, pool, you better look in the bottom of it before you get in there because it might be clear, but you're going to see a gator, promise, or a water moccasin. And I don't know which one of those is worse because they'll both hurt and kill you. Rattlesnakes. I mean, come on. I mean, I know we have some of those here, but you know what? I like seeing bears on my drive back and forth to Big Fork because I'm in my car. I'm not on the top of those. I mean, look at me. I don't look like a hiker now, do I? You remember that old joke? You know, the two guys are out and they're, they see a bear and they're running and the one guy runs by the other guy and he's sitting there on a, on a log and he's tying his shoe real fast. And he goes, what are you doing? Why are you tying your shoe? He's like, I don't have to beat the bear. I just have to beat you. You know what I'm saying? You heard that joke, right? Listen, the enemy roars, he, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody that he can devour in the past several weekends. Listen, whoo, the past several weekends, I've sat in nasty, stinky gyms all day long <laughs> watching wrestling, all right? Watching high school wrestling. Man, there's a lot of highs. There's a lot of lows. There's a lot of what am I doing here? There's a lot of cheese sticks and meat sticks. After weigh-ins, there's a lot of bathroom breaks for wrestlers. I never quite understood it. When you go to the bathroom and there's only two stalls in high schools and they're just, there's lines of wrestlers because they were trying to lose weight and drop weight and now they've got to weigh in for the day two and they're, they're getting lighter. What I notice about wrestling, there's two opposing forces that are going to battle versus each other battling they're fighting for position they're jockeying for position and you can see their focus you can see some anxiety and the concentration that's going on before they get on the mat and when they're on the mat you can see it going on and it's fun to watch uh, but I can tell you what as a family as a dad of a wrestler it can get a little bit of an anxious myself you know it's like I'm not getting out there on that mat but boy I'm ready to you know what I mean it's like I'm, I'm anxious I want my son to do good as I get to know more about wrestling, because listen, I played baseball and, res- and, and, and football in high school. I wasn't about to put a singlet on. I'm just going to be flat out honest with you. Okay? It was weird to me. And so when my son wanted to do it, I was like, all right, I got to learn this sport. I got to do this thing. I got to watch it. I got to learn it. You know, I got to be there for him. And now they have me traveling with the team to help with the team stuff and help them out. So 
they call me coach, but I'm going to be flat out honest with you. I'm the coach that knows nothing about this sport, right? I know when they win, and I know when they lose. And I know when I can't eat when I really want to eat because everybody's trying to cut weight. Football team, we're staking eggs. Wrestling, it's like cheese sticks and weird stuff. It's like really bad, you know? As I get to know more about the sport, though, I, I've watched wrestlers lose before they even step out on the mat. I, I've come to the place where I know when Lincoln walks through the living room in the morning how the day is going to go that night. Sometimes before these wrestlers even get on the bus, you know how the day's going to go because I believe it all comes down to a mindset. You know, wrestling is, is really 10% physical and 90% mental, right? It, it feels like, to me as a church, though, it feels like, and I'm not talking about Foursquare Church, I'm talking about the big C, not the little C. It, 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 it feels like, as a church, we're losing the battle of the mind when it comes to living for Jesus, we're losing this battle. We've become so compromised by our culture and our world that we've lost our first love. Some of you, now we have to know about politics, but some of you know more about what's going on in the capital than what you know about what's going on in the Bible. And that's, we're supposed to know this so that we can affect that, amen? Amen. And I've sit in churches, and I've watched, and I've listened, and I read your Facebook posts, you know, because I'm a stalker. You know, I, I do all of that stuff, right? So, you know, as, as I watch more and more about wrestling matches, I can see that there are two different coaching styles coming out, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Mike, I know what you know what I'm talking about. There's two coaching styles that are at play here, right? This Coach Owens likes this way. Coach down in Ronan likes it this way. And, they, and that's how they practice. That's what they do. That's how they work. They're taught by these two styles. And I've known, noticed that the way the wrestle, they wrestle, the wrestlers wrestle, mimics how they are taught. It mimics how they're taught in the practices. I wonder when the world looks at you and me. I wonder when the world looks at you and me. Does the way we live mimic our coaching? Does the way we live mimic who we believe in? We're supposed to be believers in the way, but does our, does our life mimic this world over this word? I mean, and these are questions that we have to ask ourselves because I believe that the world needs to see us living for Christ, not ourselves. We're, of, we're in the world, but we are, are, are we of the world? No, we're supposed to be what? Countercultural. We're supposed to be countered. That doesn't mean we hate it. That means we love it so much that we're not going to be like it, but we're going to love the people until they're ready to move this direction, which is the direction we want them to go. Why? Because we're filled with a love for people because Christ lives in me and God is love. And so when I look at people, instead of getting upset, I need to see, I need to see there's a soul there that needs Jesus in such a way, and I need to live this way because I want them to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. I want them to be transformed. I want them to, I want them to live here but not fit in here. The, the, the message says you can live in a way that you're so well-adjusted to the culture that you don't even know it. I want to stand out, but to stand out, i got to step up. And live for Jesus in such a way that says, hey, I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm going to do it in love. Even when I don't agree with it. So does the world know you by his love? When is the last time you pushed all the cares and craziness of this world aside and just spent time loving on Jesus like you did when you first met him? When's the first time, when's the last time you did it? When's the last time that church wasn't just your ticket punch for the week to say, boy, you did it. That's better than 50% of the people or 80% of the people. Good job. This isn't about that. This is about that, the altar. This is about coming in before the throne room and worshiping in his footstool, baby. This is about loving God so much that when you're squeezed like a sponge, everything that you've put in your heart is coming out of your mouth. 
And it's reverberating what? Love. That's the echo. That's the echo. That's what we should be living for. It's unconditional. It's unconventional. I believe Jesus is sending a clear message to his church and that the message is this simple. It's time for you to turn up the volume of your love. When you look at Jesus and his love for us, we see two distinct characteristics. Number one, that his love is unconditional. And number two, his love is unconventional. What do you mean by that? I almost said Coach Burrow. What do you mean by that, Pastor Jason? Here we go. Number one is love is unconditional. Jesus didn't die for those who deserved it because no one of us is worthy of that kind of sacrifice. Jesus didn't die for the people who deserved it. He died for everyone. No matter where you're from, no matter the color of your skin, no matter if you're tribal or untribal, no matter what, Jesus died for you, Republican, Democrat, crazy, not crazy, conservative, whatever. Christ died for you. You can disagree with someone, but them still feel the love in your heart for them. Trust me, if you've interacted with anybody who's lost, there's hope because one day they'll be found when you live like Christ teaches us in this word. I've seen it over and over again. No matter how broken or messed up our lives are, Jesus died so that those who follow him can have life and have it more abundantly. John 15, 13 says this, that greater love has no one than this, then he lay down one's life for a friend. Listen, as we read about that love that he has shared with us, there's a challenge there to share that same measure of love with others. The word unconditional means that there are no limits. Think about that as we read Romans 5.8. I wish the dude was here because I heard he really loves Romans, right? I don't remember his name, the dude who plays guitar. Mike? Because he goes, ha, 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 anytime anybody brings it up. Observations I've made in the back. Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. What? While we were still... Sinners, Christ died for us. This is basic foundational truths from the word of God to the Christian, to the believer, to remind us that we were there once. We have to put ourselves in a place where we can go back there to reach people. Not to tell people that they're wrong or to judge them, but to reach them. Why? Because we love them. His love was so unconditional that no matter who you are or where you're from, what you've done, his love covers you. And when you tap into that love and you repent, the Bible says in Psalms 103 verse 12 that he casts your sins as far as the what? The east is from the west. That's awesome. So why does Christians use that as a crutch? Why do we, it's like, get out of jail free card. Get out of hell free. You know, you used to, my pastor used to say that when I was a kid. I'd be like, what the heck are they saying? Now I get it. Man, I want to live every day better than the day before. You know, my coaches, when I was a kid in football, you want to get 1% better. every. You want to get 1% better. You want to get 1% stronger every time you come out of the weight room. You want to get 1% this. You want to get 1% that. Well, listen, I want my Christianity to be the same way. When I stop growing, I might as well just go ahead and find a burial spot and go on down in there and lay it and die. Because when you stop growing in this thing, you start decaying spiritually. Does that make sense, folks? I'm probably not saying anything that you've never heard before. But hopefully I'm reminding you that Jesus' unconditional love was for you and it's also for them. Listen. The unconditional love wasn't a crutch. It wasn't based on how you feel. It was his blood shed for you on Calvary so that you could have life and have it to the fullest. Eternal life. Blessings. His unconditional love was a resource and a reason to know him on the deepest, most intimate levels. Listen, 
there's a lot of people that have never experienced the speaking in tongues, and that's become a, divi a divisive thing in churches and this, that, and the other. Hey, listen, it's not about have you spoken in tongues today or not. It's about have you sought the giver of the gift, not just the gift. Amen? And that's unconditional love. We've got to go after him and stop getting caught up in all the noise, the details. Just love him and see what he does. <clears throat> Number two, his measure of love for us is unconventional. The word unconventional means to be different than the status quo. It means to be different. Did you hear that? Different. What other love would endure the cross and death? What other love would literally put out his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life? What other kind of love is that? That's, that's not conventional wisdom. That's unconventional craziness in some people's, in some people's minds. I mean, uh, I'm sure that none of us would like to put up our firstborn for people that don't know us, don't love us, don't have a relationship with us, spit on us, cuss them out. You know what I mean? Why? Because it's unconditional. It's unconventional. His love for you and me is so different that it defies all human understanding. Think about it. Our love has limits. Someone offends us and we may forgive them, but they're put on a limited access in our lives. They're put on limited. We make boundaries that are set up. But with Christ's love, full access is restored to the Father. It's forgotten, in fact, and he doesn't remind you of your past failures. That's the other dude. That's the other guy. He's the guy who reminds you of your past. Well, if you go into that bar, you know, <laughs> you may just go ahead and pick it up. You may start drinking. No, I'm if I'm going to go into that other bar, baby, I'm going to go reach people for Jesus. I'll be dragging him out of there. I've been to the VFW and had to sit with somebody who was on the rocks because her boyfriend got murdered. I've had to walk her out. You know what I'm saying? Listen, you're, God's going to reach people and it's going to be unconventional and you don't have to buy into the lies of the enemy because he's there, rob, steal, kill, destroy. His love is so perfect that it's a love that casts out all fear. In 1 John 4, 18, it points out that perfect love expels. I love that word. I was expelled a few times in high school. I love that word. Actually, I was not expelled. I was, you know, Got into a fight once in middle school, actually. It was bad. It looked like a wrestling match. It expels. It kicks out. It, 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 it limits it. It pushes it away to where it doesn't, it doesn't belong. It's not there anymore. It's not where you're at. It's, it's a way it expels. What does that mean for us? That we don't have to be afraid of death. Or afraid of what happens here in life. I don't care if Joe Biden's the president. That doesn't affect me at all when it comes to reaching people. You know what I mean? It just, it just doesn't. Is he right? No. I got my beliefs. But that shouldn't stop me from reaching people. I'm not an African-American. Listen, I grew up in the South. Man, we had a black bus and a white bus in the 90s. I know what racism is. I got called the N-word and an in lover when I was just giving a girl that was opposite color of me a ride home. A ride home. Mm. But I still loved them and I still reached them. People I played baseball with, people I grew up with, they went one way and thank God he brought me to him because I got to see through the lens of Jesus and his perfect love provides his people an unimaginable hope. His perfect love provides an unimaginable hope. For those who have said yes to this unconditional and unconditional love, guess what? There is hope. I love that song. And, 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 and Andrew, if you'd like to come up and, and grab your guitar and kind of play it in, in the background, I love that song. There's an unconventional love. There's an unconditional love. And where there is those things, there is a hope that surpasses all understanding. But but I want you to know that there's some small print in this unconventional love. There's some small print in this unconventionalness. And that's for those who believe and have made the decision to follow Christ. We have the promise of a blessed hope. 
But what about the people who don't? This stuff keeps me up at night. I love, there's people, man, that are in my family that I love, that I want to see come to know who Jesus is. Not just go to church. Listen, I'd love for them to go to church. And I think church is a crucial part of the journey, all right? Church is important. But I would just love for people to try to live for Jesus in this valley. Do you know how much, you know, as a coach, and I know I've, I've been doing a lot of coaching references, but can I tell you this? If you've ever been a coach or even just anywhere close to a sport, you can see players who have unbelievable potential but because of what's right here right in the middle and because of what's right here in their heart they never get to the place of full capacity and full potential and you're always going man that kid had such great potential it's like that you know the Geico commercial where the guy's uh, what's his name Pinocchio is doing a motivational speech you've got potential and his nose gets longer and longer he would make a horrible motivational coach. You understand what I'm saying? But it's, I, I'm tired of saying, man, that person that owns that bar, he's got amazing potential. You know where you want to get hurt? If you want to get hurt in Pulson, Montana, you know where you go. The perfect shot. The VFW. You don't go to New Life or Four Square, Fresh Life. You don't go to those places. Why? Some of them have good reason. They've been to those places and they treat you like an outcast. Listen, I've listened to the community. I'm not sitting up here just making things up, all right? I live my life out there. We've got to become a church that loves people no matter what because Jesus loved us no matter what. <laughs> Listen, whosoever, 1 John 4, 8 says this, and it, it, it just cuts me to my core because I know so many people who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. They've not been baptized, or maybe they, they did it so many years ago, and they're like, okay, well, I can live my life how I want to live my life and shake it and roll and do whatever. But listen, they're living so far away from God and so far away from his word that they're just as lost as the most lost person is lost. It, so these words in 1 John 4, 8 says, whoever does not love does not know. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God. Whew. Because God is what? It's love. If God is love, then why do we see so much division in our churches? Where's the unity found in Christ's love for both his people and those who do not know him yet? Christ's love for us is transformational. It takes a person stuck in the darkness of sin and it sets them free from, uh, through his marvelous light. Love isn't something God does, it's who he is. He loves us even though we don't deserve it or earn it. He loves us even when we do not love ourselves. We got a new dog this last week. <laughs> potty training I love the dog I love the dog but I want to kill the dog God please help me but I noticed when I got a little bit of moment you know something uh, what, doggy treats right I want to kill you but sit and then he sits God I love you he loves us even when we don't deserve it or earn it. I love that dog even when he's doing stupid stuff and he hasn't earned one treat. I'll still be like, I love you. Here's a treat. I'll just throw it. He loves us even when we don't love ourselves. There's a lot of us that look in the mirror every morning and we don't like what we see. And it's not because you're ugly. Because none of you are ugly. You're all beautiful. You're created in his image. Look, you know, that the, uh, all of that stuff out there, he's spoken to existence, but everything in here except for the chairs, he created in his own image and blew his own breath of life. That's how special you are. There's a love there. He's simply that. He's love. The love the world displays is conditional. You got to earn it. And if you screw up, guess what? It gets taken away from you. 
But Jesus' love is unconditional. He gives us his love even when we don't deserve it. He loved us while we were still enemies. His enemies. He loved us, Romans 5, 8, while we were still enemies. I like what Lincoln said. The best way to make an enemy or the best way to defeat an enemy is to make him your friend. Jesus laid down his life for us. Therefore, because of what he's done, you are to go do the same for those people that are around you. That means that you are to die to yourself, your desires for the benefit of those people around you. Rather than fighting for your rights and what you deserve, you lay them down for their benefit. Jesus, just as Jesus first did for you. Unconventional. That's different, especially in this culture and in today's world. And as I close, I want to leave you with a story. It was a normal Sunday night at a small country church gathering in southern Georgia. After a few of the usual Sunday evening hymns happened, the church's pastor once again slowly stood up and he walked over to the pulpit. That's the lectern area, okay? We've changed the words here in the north. In the south, that's the pulpit. All right, that's, we just got done with worship, and that's the pool pit. I was like, there's no warships out there. You know, I lived in a Navy town, so it was kind of a joke. Church pastor once again slowly stood up, walked over to the pulpit, gave a very brief introduction of a friend from his past. With that, an elderly man stepped up to the pulpit to speak. A father said the story a father, his son, and a friend of his son were sailing off the Atlantic coast. When a fast approaching storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore, the waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright, and the three were swept into the ocean. The old man hesitated for a moment as he was telling the story, and he made eye contact with a couple of teenagers who were for the first time, who were for the first time since the service began, interested in what he was talking about. He continued, grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. You've probably heard this story before. To which, boy, he would throw the other end of the line. Who was he going to throw it to? He only had seconds to make the decision. The father knew that his son was a believer, and he also knew that the friend of his son was not. And the agony of this decision was getting to him. But the agony of the decision could not be matched because the waves were getting to them and he needed to make a decision. And as the father yelled out, I love you, son, he threw the line out to his son's friend, knowing what would happen, right? And by the time he pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, he had this glimmer of hope that he was going to be able to throw it back out, but his son had disappeared beyond the raging swells into the black of the night and they never recovered his son's body. By this time, the two, teen two teenagers that were sitting straight up in the chair, waiting for the next words to come out of the old man's mouth, they were ready. And he said, the father knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus. And he couldn't bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Do you hear the love in the story? Therefore, he sacrificed his son how great is the love of God that he would do the same for you and for me. Our Heavenly Father sacrificed his only begotten Son that we could be saved so that the lost could be found so that they too could join those who have gone before us in heaven. And as he was preaching, he said, I urge you to accept this offer to rescue you and take a hold of this lifeline he is throwing out to you in this service. And with that, the old man finished his message, turned and sat back down in his chair as silence filled the room. The pastor came up, and I've been in a lot of these services where I'm like, dude, I really want to go to the front, but you know, somebody else has got to go to the front first because it's a thousand miles away, even though the church isn't even, you know, 40 by 40. You know what I mean? I don't know measurements, but it just seems to be that that's a thousand miles away, even though it's really not. Right, Andrew? That's the enemy. The pastor walked up slowly to the pulpit and delivered a, delivered a brief message with an invitation at the end, and of course, no one responded. Within minutes after the service ended, the two teenagers were at the old man's side. 
They said these words. That was a nice story. But I don't think it was very realistic for a father to give up his son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. Well, the old man said, you got a point there, kid. And he looked down at his worn-out Bible. Then a big smile came on his face. And he once again looked up at the boys and he said these words. It sure isn't very realistic, but I'm standing here today to tell you that that story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his only son for me. You see, I, I was the father in that boat, and your pastor, he was my son's friend that I threw the lifeline out to because he was in need of rescue. How many friends do you have that are in need of rescue? How many family members do you have that are in need of rescue? I've got family members that are in need of rescue, resuscitation, get the paddles out because they need some life in them. Because they're not living for God, they're living for themselves. When I saw them when they were living for God, I have one family member right now, it's on the top of my mind, I won't say it out loud, but this individual taught me how to live this, how to live this in here, and he's not living for it now out there. What a great way to have us stop as a church and look around at all these empty seats. Look at these empty seats. Look around. These are empty seats. Think about the people we interact with on a daily basis that are in need of a rescue. Some of us don't have to think very hard, do we? I know I don't. Jesus was willing to take your place. His love, it was put on display at the cross and it's just as powerful and effective now as it was way back then. It's just as powerful now as it was when you first gave your life at a youth convention or a youth camp. I'm not talking to the teenagers, I'm talking to you folks. They're gonna experience it. And by the way, we've got an amazing opportunity. We've got a, a winter retreat that we're all teaming up for. I'm gonna bring my group from Big Fork uh, from our from our grounded teen center, which most of them are not Christians, we're gonna we're gonna combine forces with uh, Big Fork Chapel right here. If you want to go with us to this uh, awesome retreat in Libby, it's amazing. There's gonna be a great speaker, Andy Manley, who is from this valley, is gonna be speaking. Um, I mean, we've got some great things. Roller skating, yes, they have a roller skating ring in Libby. I can't answer the question why we don't have one here, but <laughs> I'd love to address that at some other time. So if you're a millionaire sitting in the room, please come find me after the service. You don't ask. I'm just sitting vision. Jesus was willing to take our place. His love was put on display on the cross, and it's just as powerful and effective now as it was then. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, Lord, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. And as some understand slowness, instead he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to what? To perish, but everyone to come to what? repentance there's power in repentance because there's life in repentance it was all about his unconventional love and his unconditional love shown for you by sending his son to the earth to live to die to be resurrected for you and for me his love for you is so great he was willing to be the sacrifice for your sin with a love like that, I must ask the question, how much do you show him in return? How much love do you show him? Followers of Jesus are supposed to be known by our love. So how are you living in such a way as to honor what he did for you on the cross? For what he did for you when he walked out of the tomb? For what he did for you when he came back and was with his disciples? What he did for you when he sent the comforter and the guide and the power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter two? What are you doing? Where are you at? This morning, I want to take a moment and take a real look at the love quota in our life for him with the idea in our hearts and minds that the more we love him, the more we love them. And so as we sit here for a minute, we got to think about the people in our lives, you know, the ones who lie to us, the ones who annoy us. Yesterday, I was on a bus woo, with some wrestlers who... 
conversation was pretty crazy. And the music they played was even crazier. Right, Lincoln? Then I heard one of them say, yeah, I go to church. And I'm like, and all the coaches, most of them don't go to church for doing the same thing. Those people who turn their backs on us or even talk bad about us even after all the great things that we've experienced together. The love is unconditional and it's unconventional that God gives us and shows to us. Look around you this morning and I want you to notice something. Not the people who are sitting next to you, but the ones that aren't. The empty seats that are all around you. These empty seats should challenge us. They should keep you up at night. They should serve as a reminder that people all around us are taking their last breaths without having accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. I can take you on trips with me for the funeral, for the lake funeral home, which I work for, and I can take you into houses that loved ones are laying on their deathbed, and I can show you what hope looks like, and I can show you what no hope looks like just by walking into the house and the atmosphere. The empty seat should cause a stir in our body to tell everyone about Jesus more with the way we live in our lives than the words that come out of our mouths. The empty seat should remind us that we are on mission here in the Mission Valley to not rest until all have come to know him and have found the same transformational power that set us free from our chains, our bondage, our oppression, our addictions, our bitterness, only to fill us with unexplainable love and desire to please our Heavenly Father. God's calling you. It's time to live what Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 said out in real time. It says the word says this, if you want to be my disciples, you've got to deny yourself. That means, listen, I don't like the way he does it, so guess what? No, I'm going to choose to go this direction. No, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus no matter where it leads you. Because if you truly are in love with God, you're going to go the directions that he leads. You're not going to take detours. In fact, when we do take detours, and if you do take detours, the greatest thing about this is that God gets you right back on track if you're living in obedience to his word. And you're interacting with him in worship, not just singing the songs. Songs are beautiful, Andrew. you got a beautiful voice, man. God's talent. You've got a lot of talent, brother. I guarantee you, you, you like what you're doing here rather than when you liked what you were doing several years back because God's brought you and brought you full circle. Why? Because just like me in my story, he had a purpose and plan for your life because I've talked with your dad. He's got, you know what? I'm going to say this. We don't recommend. He's got a purpose and plan for your daughter's lives. He's not done because they have breath in their lives. Amen. If you've got a wayward son or daughter, grandma or grandpa, or excuse me, grandma or grandpas, if you've got a wayward son or daughter, i got a couple of wayward grandparents. They're out there, trust me. <laughs> My papa, before he died, he found out I was going to be a pastor, and he says, oh, son, oh, no, God, no. Listen, if there's people out there in your, li- in your lives that are not running, they're running away They'll never run far enough to get away from his love. You could be the very agent that God's using to change their lives. Why? Not because of your judgments on their lives, but because of the way you love them with your lives. Because you're loving them with the love of Jesus. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Jesus. Coming to church isn't going to change the world. Being the church is what's going to change the world. That's right. Being the church living life on mission, not waiting for them to come here. I have stood before congregations that wait for people to come inside. Jesus didn't do a lot of ministry from the inside. He taught in the synagogues, but guess who he was teaching? People who already knew what he was teaching from. They just never heard it taught like that. But the people that he interacted out there, were changed. The demon-possessed guy, when he got off the boat after a storm, 
changed. Did you know the story? Several years later, when the Christians were on the run from Nero, because of that demon-possessed guy at the tombs, the Christians would run from one town to another town to another town looking for safe haven. But the only place that would open their doors was where Jesus said to go to the demon-possessed man after he gave his life, and they found refuge. And I believe it's because Jesus said, oh, when I thought, when I read that story as a kid, I was like, man, why didn't Jesus let him go with them? But it was because Jesus had a purpose and a plan. Will you go? Will you love? Will you deny yourself, take up the cross, and follow him? Before we dismiss today, uh, I'd like you to spend a few moments in your seats there as Andrew plays. And if you could, sing that song. Because it was perfect. The song you guys did in worship today was perfect, and it fit right in into this message. I'd like you to spend a few minutes asking God what he wants you to do. I love sitting in those meetings when we were planning the day of hope. <laughs> I never thought I'd be sitting at the table at Tribal Health. I never thought I'd go to Tribal, uh, whatever, uh, the Tribal Council and address them about a, a, a thing that we were trying to do. See, I was a youth pastor at, at, at New Life, but I was also the outreach pastor. And, and it just, it, it was awesome to share in those things. Never thought I'd sit with doctors and lawyers and people who had a love for Jesus at multiple churches that were planned and put in such a place in this community where we can do it. I mean, we can reach people because we've got people like her that are in, in, in situations and in places that have clout and have buy-in and trust because they see your work ethic. Let me tell you, let's spend a moment or two thinking about what we could do as a church here at Polson Foursquare because I love those Wednesday night services. You've heard me on drums. Love it. It's fun. Okay. That's beating our horns, you know? That's a pep rally for Christians, all right? I love pep rallies. Those were fun. I felt like I was a big deal at a pep rally, wearing my football jersey, and I'd go out there and crush them on Friday nights, baby. But you know what? It's, it's, a, it's just a pep rally. At the end of the day, we go home and go to sleep. But what does that do to change the world out there that are dying and going to hell? It's about where we live our lives and how we live our lives and who we live our lives for that changes the course of what goes on in those, in those streets in our town. It's about people who are put in places of strategy, strategic places that's not by accident. God doesn't do anything by accident. You're not here today by accident. You're here today because you can change this community. So what will God do to you to get it through you to them? If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me today, I'm going to pray for you. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to come and speak into your lives. I don't know what God has for the burrows. I'm praying. In case you've been wondering, as you're thinking, I don't know, but I know what God hasn't done, and he's not called me out of this valley. And I'm standing on it until he does. I've asked him, God, call me out of the valley. Let me go. People have told me to go. <laughs> Where do I go? What do I do? You haven't said it. People have said it. Listen, it's not about what people are saying. It's about what I'm saying, Jason. Trust me. Lean into me and not your own understanding. So think about it. What does God want you to do to join forces and reach these people out in this community for him? And I guarantee you, God's going to put a vision in your heart. He's going to put a hunger in your heart. Man, Mike, you don't sit down there in that dungeon just to make donuts. You're bringing hope to a community, brother. It's not about the donuts. They're delicious. But every donut that I've eaten there, I don't feel the sugar. I feel the Holy Spirit. I do. I love going down there and worshiping with you. It's been a while. Listen, God's put you in strategic places. What can you do for him now that will change Polson? The Mission Valley, wherever you call home, wherever you call work, wherever you call life, what will God do? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the time that 
we've shared together. I pray, God, that, Lord, I know that I've spoken the words that you've put in my heart to speak. I know that you've put these people in this room on purpose, on mission. There's a strategy. There's a purpose behind it. And the best part about it is, God, you knew before today even happened that it was going to happen this way and that people would be challenged to go out into all the world and proclaim your good news. And God, I pray that you're sitting at the right hand of the Father, Jesus. I pray that you're sitting at the right hand of the Father as you're interceding for us. I pray that the tears are coming down to your, down your cheeks because, Lord, I know that you're, the currency of heaven is souls. It's souls. And there's so many souls right here. We don't have to go thousands and thousands of miles away. Yes, we're called to go into all the world, but Lord Jesus, I believe we've got all the world right here in our backyards too. In addition to that need Jesus, that needs you. And God, I pray that what we do will echo for all eternity. I pray that what we say, how we live, would compel people to come in and to hear, to listen, to watch, and then to be changed forever. God, I give you glory and honor. So as we sing this song and we take a moment to think about it, I pray, God, that you would seal it in our hearts and help us to go out into all the world and preach the gospel, even without words, Lord. In your name I pray, amen. the castle they between us oh high the mountain I could not climb in desperation I turned to heaven spoke spoken
Hey, thanks for joining us today. My name is Billy and I'm the online media director here at Polson Foursquare. I hope that the message was encouraging to you. And if it was, consider subscribing or following us or even sharing it with a friend. If you're looking for more information, you can find that at polsonfoursquare.org or check out our Facebook. With that, I hope that you have a blessed week and we'll catch you next time.